Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is entitled, Living Wisely. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Several years ago, a 43-year-old German father was airlifted to the hospital after he fell off a second-story balcony during a spitting contest with his 12-year-old son. A spokesman for the police department said the man in the East German town of Forst had apparently lost his balance after leaning over the balcony in an attempt to outspit his son. As a result, he tumbled over the uh, ledge and landed on a balcony on the ground floor of the apartment building. You know, there are some fathers who lack wisdom. But one thing no father or Christ follower should ever lack is integrity. We're continuing our series in the book of Proverbs called Living Wisely. I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Proverbs chapter 10 and pull out the sermon note insert that's in your worship folder that you received when you came in this morning. Proverbs, you might remember, and we've been learning this, is a wisdom book in the Old Testament written for the most part by King Solomon. Solomon requested from the Lord and received the gift of wisdom, making him the wisest man in the world in his lifetime. Proverbs is written in the form of a Hebrew poetry uh, style called parallelism. It is uh, mostly comprised of verses uh, of two lines called couplets. And in those couplets, uh, the two verses are in a parallel relationship. Sometimes they contrast two ideas. And so the first half of the verse contrast something in the second half of the verse. Uh, sometimes they compare similar or different ideas. And then other times, as we've been learning, they complement each other. And so, for example, Solomon might start out a thought in the first half of the verse, and then in the second half of the verse, add to it or complete that thought. The series uh, theme verse that I've been asking you to memorize with me is Proverbs 9, verse 10. If you don't have that underlined in your Bible yet, I want to encourage you to do so. It sums up, I think, what Solomon is trying to say to us through his writings in the book of Proverbs. Let's say the verse out loud together. You can use the version on your sermon note handout or the screen behind me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Throughout this series, the son of King David will tell us one simple truth in several different ways, and that is wisdom reaps blessings, but foolishness reaps cursing. And sometimes it's us that feels like cursing because of our foolish choices. How many times have we cried out to the Lord or told somebody else, Oh, if I only knew then what I know now. We've all made foolish choices that have not only injured ourselves, but also injured others. 
We all need to grow in wisdom because we've all acted like fools at one time or another. However, according to the sage Solomon, one way to see the Lord bless our lives is to live a life marked with integrity. So here's our big idea for today. I want to encourage you to write this down. Integrity is a rarity in the world that must become a normality in the church. Integrity is a rarity in the world that must become a normality in the church. Sadly, cliches such as, my word is my bond, or I'm a man of my word, or you have my word, that used to be common in our culture, are not as common anymore. Integrity has become so rare in the world today that it is like a priceless gem that everyone wants to see but nobody can find. And sadly, what permeates the world eventually infiltrates the church. And sadly, I can tell you, having worked on staff in a handful of churches, it appalls me how many spiritual leaders on staff at churches, like pastors and elders and deacons, lack integrity. When push comes to shove, or when there's difficult decisions to make, I personally and my family has been deeply wounded by men who were in positions of authority in churches that lacked integrity. So you're going to feel a little passion come out from me today on this, and uh, it's because of something that I, I'm very passionate about because of how I've been affected by those that lack integrity, but also because I have tried to live a life, an example for my kids, fighting for integrity. And so... Having said that, Solomon, I think, answers at least two questions on this topic of integrity. First of all, why is living a life marked with integrity so important? He's going to tell us that. And he's going to also tell us what does a life marked with integrity look like? What do people who have integrity do that's different than what others do who don't have it? And so with that, if you would, look in your Bibles at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9. This contains the first reason we should strive for integrity. Solomon writes, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Here's point number one on your outline, the first truth, the first reason I think Solomon is telling us we should strive for integrity, and that is that walking in integrity is pleasing to the Lord. It's pleasing to the Lord. This contrasting proverb describes two people living two very different lifestyles. He says, whoever walks in integrity. The Hebrew word for integrity, it means to be complete or to be whole, upright or blameless. It does not mean perfect, though. Instead, it describes a person who walks with the Lord in such a way that it is difficult to find any dirt on them. There is a consistency in their character and an uprightness in how they do things. One of the benefits, Solomon says, of such a person that has integrity is they walk securely. 
The original text describes people of integrity as having a sense of confidence, a sense of security and safety, like sure footing, going up a mountain. Uh, They're not anxious. They don't have to worry about stumbling because they walk in integrity. In other words, they live a life with far less worries than those described in the second half of the verse. Those that are crooked. Those that lie, cheat, and scheme, and manipulate, and sin behind closed doors have at least one huge burden that they carry with them every day. According to Solomon, they worry every day about being found out. They go to bed at night worrying about being found out because of what they've done. So next, look at uh, chapter 11. Just go next door to chapter 11, verse 3, and follow along with me. Again, he talks about integrity, another principle that he drops here. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. In other words, the wise person wrestles over far fewer decisions than the wicked or crooked person does because their integrity makes it obvious what they're supposed to do. So, for example, if a cashier at the grocery store gives a godly man or woman too much change, they don't worry or fret about what to do because integrity's already told them what to do. They need to go back into the store and point out the mistake and give the money back. It's a slam dunk, as we like to say. If a boss compliments a godly man or woman for something a coworker did, not the, the, the man or woman, integrity guides that man or woman to go to the boss and say, hey, you know, actually, I didn't do that. It was, it was so-and-so. They deserve the credit for that. Integrity guides their decision-making. The English word for integrity comes from the Latin word for integer. Those of you that are math fans might appreciate this. It means to be the same or to be whole. The English dictionary defines integrity as soundness of moral character, honesty. While I have no qualms with that definition, I think Christ followers need to look at the topic of integrity through the lens of Scripture. And so here's a definition that I've been working on for a few years and tweaking and playing with it, trying to keep it succinct, but saying just enough because I always struggle with, no, I'm leaving that out. I got to get that in there, but oh, it's too long. I got to cut that down. But here's my best attempt right now. This might change in five years. So here it is. Integrity, I think from the Christian biblical perspective, is the integration of your attitudes and actions with Scripture. So they become the same. Integrity is the integration of your attitudes and actions with Scripture so that they become the same. For the Christ follower, integrity is the complete integration of God's Word into every area of his or her life. It is the passionate pursuit of a Christ-centered, Christ-honoring life regardless of whether anybody is watching because someone is always watching. 
It's doing it regardless of what, what everybody else is doing. Because the Christ follower lives for the audience of one. In other words, to have integrity is to do your best with the Lord's help by his grace and by his spirit. To, to minimize the gap between what you say you believe and how you actually live. Now, why, why is pleasing, why is integrity pleasing to the Lord? That's something I wrestled with this week as I prepared this message and looked at the various verses on the topic of integrity. And, and here's, here's something that I, I think we need to be aware of. I think the Lord is passionate about integrity because when we have integrity, we are like him. We are like him. Because the Lord is without sin, he never does anything contrary to his word. He never changes his mind, tells a lie, fails to keep a promise, or makes a promise that he cannot keep. Now, interestingly, many Christians have a double standard they've placed on the Lord that they're not even aware of. They want God to keep his word to them. But they want the option of not keeping their word to him or to others. And yet, thankfully, and praise the Lord, he remains the same, unchanging, consistent. Now, this topic raises a natural and a logical question. What do people with integrity do? There are several qualities listed throughout the book of Proverbs, and also in other parts of the Bible as well. It is a topic that's addressed extensively in the Scriptures. We obviously don't have time to look at all of them, so here's four that stand out in Solomon's writings that I found. Uh, if you would turn to chapter 12, just flip the page in your Bible, Chapter 12, verse 22. Solomon writes, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Here's a letter A. The first thing, the first thing that people with integrity do is they tell the truth at all times instead of lying. They tell the truth at all times. Most of you heard me say last week that abomination comes from the Hebrew word meaning to abhor. Uh, to abhor something means to hate it, despise it, detest it, or to regard something with disgust. It's similar to pride. The Lord finds lying disgusting. I think this is probably because like pride, lying is a, another sin that the adversary is well known for. It's so when we lie, we are in essence reminding the Lord of the adversary, the enemy. In fact, one of the most common lies the adversary tells people, even Christians, is that there are white lies, and then there are real lies. Did you know that? There are two different kinds of lies. There's the white lie, which is okay, and then there's a real lie. White lies have become the ends that justify the means. 
We see it when parents falsify the age of their child so they can get on social media or get into a movie before they are of age. Or when we tell a lie or withhold truth because we fear someone's response. We see it when employees fudge the numbers on their time card uh, so it doesn't reflect that they were late, and instead they blame rush hour traffic instead of admitting they should have left earlier and didn't plan well. Hopefully you know this, but there is no such thing as a white lie or a half-truth in the Lord's eyes. All lies are sinful, and a half-truth is a whole lie. That's something I've told my kids often. Half-truths are whole lies. Tell the whole truth. That's why our court system figured that out, right? Do you swear to tell the whole truth so help you God? And they intentionally put whole truth in there because some witness at some point early in our court system's history probably tried to tell a third of the truth. So they had to put whole in there. Godly men and women who have integrity tell the truth when it's easy and when it's hard. When it's convenient and not convenient. When it might cost them something and when it will cost them nothing. They tell the truth. So here's letter B. The second thing Solomon emphasizes that people with integrity do is that they earn and handle money honestly instead of deceitfully. They earn and handle money honestly instead of deceitfully. In Proverbs 21, 6, I won't have you turn there for the sake of time. We're going to look at some other Proverbs. But uh, Solomon writes that the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. The man or woman that walks with integrity avoids any possible deceitful gaining of money. Because Proverbs 21, 6 says it will vanish. As quickly as you got it, just like a mist. We see this when taxpayers fudge the numbers on their tax return or don't report all of their income and then justify it with things like, well, if my favorite political party was in control of Congress or in the White House, then I would report everything, but I don't trust those yahoos in there right now. Or when a job seeker lies on their resume about their accomplishments in order to get a better paying job. We've seen that come out in the news a few times. I remember not long ago hearing about a football coach that got hired and then got fired shortly afterwards because afterwards uh, some things came out about his resume. The search committee missed it, but then once he got hired as a head co a college football coach at a school, the media went and investigated his background and found that he lied about some degrees that he had, or didn't have, excuse me. Instead, believers are committed to handling the Lord's money with integrity in such a way that anybody could look at their books, their checkbook, their accounts, and find nothing shady. Nothing that would make you go, eh, what's that all about? So they earn and handle money honestly instead of deceitfully. Turn, if you would, to uh, turn with me to uh, Proverbs chapter 20, 
Now, just turn a couple more pages back as we work our way, surveying, skipping across the pond of Proverbs here. Uh, 20, Proverbs 20, verse 25. Solomon writes here, It is a snare to say rashly, it is holy, and to reflect only after making vows. Here's uh, the third thing that people with integrity do. They keep the commitments they make and don't make ones they can't. They keep the commitments they make and don't make ones they can't. Now, this is a tricky verse to interpret because in the original language, the general idea of the verse gets lost in translation. Uh, if you do a word-for-word rendering like the ESV does. Basically, what this proverb is saying, if we zoom back and just look at it from 10,000 feet instead of 100 feet, basically what this proverb is saying is it's dangerous to make impulsive promises to God and others without counting the cost. That's basically what it's saying. The godly man or woman that's committed to integrity keeps their word and their commitments even when it hurts. Even when it might, they might feel like changing their mind. Even when an opportunity comes up that's better than the first one they committed to. They don't buy into the world's new line of thinking that yes is the new maybe and maybe is the new no. Did you know that? I read an article recently in the New York Times about the aspirational RSVP. And the article was talking about how Facebook and other things like social, on social media have changed the way people do RSVPs now to where a lot of people will RSVP for things they never intended to go to. And then it causes frustration if you're the one planning the event, buying the food, and all making reservations for chairs and tables and all that, where you have a certain number of people that said, yes, they're going to go, or maybe, and then they don't come. This was an interesting article, and it showed me again that people with integrity they, they RSVP for something when they intend on going, and they don't RSVP if they're not going to go. They don't just RSVP to make somebody feel good or to say, hey, we're with you, we're behind you, but I'd rather do something else that weekend. There once was a store owner <laughs> training a new teenager he had recently hired, and he says to the young man, my boy, wisdom and integrity is important in the retail business. It's important to be successful in retail. By integrity, I mean that if you promise a customer something, you have to keep that promise even if we might lose money. The new employee then inquired, well, what is wisdom? To which his boss replied, wisdom is not making any stupid promises. <laughs> See, integrity is a rarity in the world that must become a normality in the church. So here's the fourth thing that people with integrity do. 
that Solomon hits on several times. And as letter D, they make decisions knowing the Lord is watching them at all times. They make decisions knowing the Lord is watching them at all times. In Proverbs 15, 3, I'll just read it. You don't have to turn there. Uh, he, Solomon writes, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. It's a nod to what theologians call the omniscience of God. He sees and he hears and knows all things because he's omnipresent. Several years ago, someone emailed me uh, the following story that I think serves as a good reminder that someone is always watching. A burglar had broken into a house one night, and he shined his flashlight around looking for valuables that he could steal and put in his sack. And as he did so, a strange disembodied voice echoed from the dark saying, Jesus is watching you. Startled by this eerie voice, the burglar froze, shut off his flashlight to see whether he'd been detected or not. And after a moment's pause, he shook his head, dismissing the voice as a figment of his imagination, turned on his flashlight, and went back to work. After he started to unplug an expensive laptop computer, he heard the mysterious voice again, Jesus is watching you. Once again, he froze in his footsteps, but this time he shined the flashlight around looking to see where's that voice coming from. And then he noticed in the corner there was a cage hanging from the ceiling that contained a parrot. Did you say that as he shines the flashlight on the parrot? Yes, the parrot confessed. I'm trying to warn you. And the burglar said, warn me, eh? Like, really? Who do you think you are? Moses, replied the bird. <laughs> Moses, said the burglar, really? What kind of crazy people named their parrot Moses? To which the parrot promptly replied, the same kind of people that would name their Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> In his classic work, Thoughts for Young Men, J.C. Ryle shares the practical implications of God's omniscience. Listen to this quote. Ryle writes, How many things are done continually which men would never do if they thought they were being seen? Do nothing you would not like God to see. Say nothing you would not like God to hear. Write nothing that you would not like God to read. Go no place you would not like God to find you. And read no book of which you would not like God to say, show it to me. Never spend your time in such a way that you would not like to have God say, what are you doing Ryle wrote this in the 19th century, so I would like to add, if you'd be okay with this, a couple modern touches to it. Don't send a text message 
an email or post to social media or view on the internet or watch something on TV that would cause the Lord to say, what are you doing? Don't do that because he sees it. You see, even though no one on earth may see what you're doing, someone in heaven always will. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to do something stupid in my flesh. But the very fact that I know the Lord would see me do it. And if I apply Psalm 139, the very fact that the Lord knows I already am thinking about doing it has stopped me. So how do we apply these Proverbs that we've looked at? Here's one application that comes to mind. Choose to fear and love the Lord. Choose to fear and love the Lord. And here's why. It's important when we talk about the topic of integrity that we don't look at the surface and sort of try to do behavior modification. The scriptures and the Lord always are focused on the heart because the heart drives our behavior. And so, choose to fear and love the Lord. Here's why. One of the most common root causes for lying that I have seen is fearing man more than God. People that fear man more than God often struggle with lying. And the second most common cause of lying I've seen is wanting the pleasures of man more than we want God. In other words, people often lie to get what they want because the truth would prevent that from happening. So choose to fear and love the Lord. Next, if you would, turn to Proverbs 16. As we look at the next truth about integrity that Solomon tells us, Proverbs 16, verse 13. Righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he who loves him who speaks what is right. Here's the second truth that Solomon tells us about integrity. Walking integrity is often pleasing to unbelievers. Righteous lips refers to someone who speaks the truth. And the king can represent uh, anybody in authority, such as a parent, a, a father, an employer, or another type of leader. The point of the proverb is that even unbelieving leaders desire to be surrounded with trustworthy people. It's comforting for them because being surrounded by people you can't trust is anxiety-producing. You're always watching your back, always wondering, is that subordinate telling me the truth or are they lying to me? Are they organizing a coup? Are they setting me up to take the fall for something? It's a reminder that employers are looking for workers that are dependable and trustworthy and truth-speaking. And when a believer in all these things uh, does all these things, they add credibility to the gospel, which gives them a platform to share their faith. So here's an application. 
Walking integrity is pleasing to unbelievers, and he's referencing a king, which would be someone in authority. I think the application is be a light in a dark workplace. Show your employer that you are different than anybody they've hired before. Be so reliable and so on time and so hardworking and trustworthy and honest that your supervisor can't help but ask, why don't you act like the other employees? And do you have any friends that need a job? And then you can say, I'll tell you why. A few years ago, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, and he changed my life. Now I serve him by serving you. Would you like to meet him this Sunday? I go to one of the best churches in town. I'll pick you up at 8.30. That was a little humorous nudge to invite somebody from your workplace to church. Just want to let you know that. Moving on, let's repeat the big idea again so that it sinks in. Integrity is a rarity in the world that must become a normality in the church. Next, if you would look at verse, uh, chapter 20, excuse me, Proverbs 20, verse 7, he gives us another reason why we should strive to live a life of integrity. Solomon writes in Proverbs 20, verse 7, The righteous who walks in his integrity... Blessed are his children after him. So, here's number three. The third reason we should walk in integrity. Walking in integrity leaves a godly legacy for your children. The parents who walk in integrity with the Lord will be blessed by the Lord. And these blessings, such as godly character, a healthy marriage, solid finances, favor from an employer... All benefit the children growing up in such home. Now, on the other hand, children that have parents who are ungodly often inherit the problems that come from their parents' sin. For example, just this past week, I was watching a documentary about a famous New York City murder case from several decades ago, and I'm, I'm kind of a documentary nerd. I, I do it because it gives me a lot of good sermon illustrations and introductions, so... Some of the introductions that you hear me use, I, I find on Netflix, and then I research them further to make sure Netflix was telling the truth and try to cross-reference sources. Well, there's one particular murder case that interested me, and it's something that changed crime scene investigations and court law and all sorts of things like that for ever since it happened. So I'm watching it. At one point during the show, the child of the murderer, who's now an adult, is being interviewed. His father made international, not national, international headlines for what he did back in 1963. And now it's the early 2000s, and the adult son is being interviewed. And he says... His life was extremely difficult growing up and going to school where the kids would pick on him and call him names because his dad was an infamous murderer. It was sad to hear him recount his growing up years because everybody knew who he was and he had done nothing wrong. But they knew who his dad was 
And his dad was serving a life sentence for what he had done. And so the son had to live with the consequences and ramifications of his dad's poor choices. It's tragic. And so what do we do with this? I think an application that comes to mind that is worthy of our consideration is we need to make daily decisions with our legacy in mind. Sadly, too few people do this. They tend to just make decisions based on what's in front of them, the short term, instead of thinking long term. Godly legacies aren't built on two or three big decisions that shape a life. Instead, a godly, never forgotten, long-lasting legacy is built with thousands of daily decisions over a lifetime fueled by a passion to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you thought about the legacy you're leaving for your children or grandchildren? And by the way, if you're not married yet or don't have kids yet, don't think that you're off the hook because you're building a legacy right now with the choices that you make. Will will your children or grandchildren be proud to have followed in your footsteps or to carry the family name? Or will they be ashamed? Now, thankfully, the Lord can redeem mistakes. Some of you may have regrets, and maybe you made poor choices, or or maybe for a good chunk of your life, you didn't walk with the Lord. What, What I have found is that humility, like we talked about last week, can redeem and cover some of that. You, you, you're, if you're a middle-aged grandparent and you blew it earlier in your life, you can go to your kids and grandkids and say, I'm sorry. I, I was wrong. I should have known better. I, I own that. I regret those mistakes I made. I'm doing my best to redeem the time I have left on earth by following the Lord with my whole heart. And one thing I have noticed is that people are often forgiving if you are quick to admit, I blew it, I made some unwise choices. But if you can admit it and share what you're doing to try and redeem it and make good with it, the Lord will use that. Finally, if you would... Look at uh, Proverbs 28, 18. That's our last proverb for today. Proverbs 28. So just flip back a couple pages. 28, 18. Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. Here's point number four in your outline. Walking in integrity will vindicate you when you need it. It will vindicate you when you need it. The original language uh, literally reads, uh, the Hebrew text literally reads, will be saved. It's not talking about salvation in the gospel sense, though. Um, In all likelihood, I think it's referring to the protection the Lord provides to those that walk with him. Now, on the contrary, those that are crooked or perverse will be allowed to fall. The Lord will allow them to reap consequences for their choices. Both Proverbs and the Psalms contain plenty of examples of this. They also contain plenty of examples of the righteous being wronged by the wicked 
or falsely accused by false witnesses. Did you know that you need to be careful not to believe everything you see on TV and on the TV news? Because there are false witnesses that falsely accuse people of things. It's all over the Proverbs and the Psalms. What's even more heartbreaking is when this happens to a believer. Anyone who has ever stood for the Lord has fallen victim to this, including Jesus himself. He was falsely accused. The apostles were, and centuries of church leaders. They may, there may come a time when you need your reputation to vindicate you because the evidence won't or can't. There just isn't enough evidence to support what you're saying. So you may need your integrity built up over years to give you the benefit of the doubt with somebody. So here's the application. Make trust deposits now so you can make withdrawals later if you need to. Because the wicked set traps for the righteous and false witnesses falsely accuse the godly, or you may simply find yourself in a messy situation in which it is your word against their word. And there's no evidence to support what you're saying, and you're saying the truth. That's when you need to have integrity banked up. Where, where the, the person in authority that's going to be making a decision about your future and whether you get to keep a job or stay in this school or not can say, yeah, well, I know this guy or this person, this gal. They have lived a life of integrity, and thus you get the benefit of the doubt. You will need trust deposits that come from years of walking integrity to prove your innocence at some point. The vindication may not always be immediate, but it will come eventually. So make trust deposits now so you can make withdrawals later if necessary. Integrity will vindicate you when you need it. Well, as we close, I wanted to tell you a story about someone who modeled integrity. And he did so at great expense to himself. Bill Lear was an inventor, aviator, and business leader who held more than 150 patents. However, the invention he is arguably most known for is the Lear Jet. Designed to eliminate long drives to airports, rental car returns, and airport shuttles, terminal congestion, and endless delays, the Lear Jet allowed business travelers to cut their travel time in half. It took him several years, Bill Lear, to make his dream become a reality, but in 1963, the first prototype made its maiden voyage. And in 1964, the first production model rolled off the assembly line. The jets were an immediate hit for corporate travelers, but unfortunately, not long after the new plane started flying, Lear learned that two jets he had built crashed due to mysterious causes, taking the lives of two pilots. He immediately grounded the 55 Lear jets he had already sold so that he could work with his engineers and try and diagnose the problem. 
This is significant back then because we've seen, even in modern times, there are many automobile manufacturers who leave dangerous models on the road uh, even though they are aware of design flaws, and such companies will uh, count on clever lawyers to rescue them uh, rather than honestly dealing with their mistakes and doing a total recall. But to Bill Lear, the thought that more lives might be lost in one of his jets was far more important to him than any amount of money lost, doubts in the minds of potential buyers, or media backlash. And so after extensive troubleshooting with his engineering team, Lear could not confirm the technical problem on the ground. The only sure way to verify the cause was to recreate it personally in the air. And so he decided to take one of his own jets up and to recreate the circumstances in which the crashes had taken place. As he flew the jet, he nearly lost control and met the same fate as the pilots who had died in the first two jets. But fortunately, he completed the test flight safely, verified the defect, built a new part to correct the problem, and retrofitted all 55 planes with it. It took two years for Lear's business to recover. However... He was willing to risk his life to solve the problem and never regretted his decision. That's because he had integrity. Integrity is a rarity in the world that must become a normality in the church. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, you know as well as I do that there may be some in this room that have been deeply hurt by people that lack integrity. Maybe they've been lied to or betrayed or taken advantage of or had money stolen from them or something else of great value. Please, Lord, would you, as you promise in your word, work even those things for good? Would you bring healing? Would you restore what's been lost? And Father, please, would you provide wisdom that can be gained from those painful experiences? Still, Lord, there may be others that are here that have felt the conviction of the Spirit through the preaching of the Word, and they realize there is an area in their life where they do not have integrity. Please, Father, would you reveal this and make it clear? Would you enable them by your grace and by your spirit to take steps of repentance, to get into your word and to memorize scriptures that can help them change that area of their life? We thank you, Lord, that as a loving father who shows compassion on his children, you stand ready to forgive anyone who wants to get right with you. Lord, would you help us please to be a church known 
for its integrity. Would you help us, Lord, to provide a high level of integrity that is refreshing to those that visit in our part of our church? We want to do that because it pleases you and it sets us apart from the world. Lord, finally, if there is anyone here today that is justifying or rationalizing an area of their life where they've made compromises and they're maybe even now thinking, I'm okay, I, that's okay, it's not a problem. And Lord, please, if, if they're rationalizing sin or lack of integrity, stop them from doing that for their own good and for your glory. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.